morning, Red Hawk listeners. Today on the podcast, we have Mr. Joe Nzinga, a Marist legend. This is Joe's 39th year working at Marist. During his time, he has been a teacher, a coach, a disciplinary dean, an academic dean, and let's not forget, before all of that, a student. Um, Mr. Nzinga has so much history of Marist. I can't wait for our listeners to get to know Joe, Mr. Nzinga to our students, Joe to probably his colleagues and alumni, and for him to share all of what it means to be a lifelong redskin turned red hawk. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Joe Nzinga. Thank you. I just, uh, you're throwing around legend pretty loosely there. <laughs> you are a legend. 39 years? You've been here a long time. We're gonna, to, we're gonna. Do you have to tell them thirty nine years? Yeah, I maybe? think that's something to be proud of. I don't think that's something to be embarrassed or ashamed of, or to think that makes you old. Old is a state of mind, correct? It is it, absolutely. And we work in a high school. We're forever young. We are forever young. They do keep <laughs> us young. There's no doubt about it. All right, so let's begin um, as we should from the very very beginning. Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about Joe and Zynga's background, like where you grew up, your siblings, your family life? So I'm a Mount Greenwood uh, student, kid, uh, whatever else terminology you want to use to describe someone who grew up primarily in the Mount Greenwood area. Um, I had two brothers, Glenn and Tom. Tom also works here at Maris High School in our uh, development office. Uh, Mount Greenwood was uh, very good to me when I was younger. Uh, raised in a private Catholic family, an Italian family with a mom who cooked lots of spaghetti on the weekend. Um, I went to Mount Greenwood Grammar School and we do get a lot of kids even uh, today from, from Mount Greenwood Grammar School but also was a parishioner uh, at St. Christina, went through catechism at St. Christina. Um, it came to senior year, or eighth grade, I should say, and the decision was whether to go to Brother Rice or Maris High School. Um, and as many of our students, you get to 111th and Pulaski Avenue on the day of the, the test, and you say to yourself, am I going left to Maris or am I going right to to Brother Rice, and the decision was to take a left-hand turn and head down 115th Street, uh, where I was a 1977 graduate of Maris High School, and still extremely proud of that, even though it was a long, long time ago. Uh, but I was very fortunate. I had uh, I was raised in a private uh, Catholic environment here in Maris, but also uh, my parents were very Catholic and. You know, Sundays you got up, you went to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably involved in the church. I absolutely. My, my mother was very much involved in the church. They are both hard workers. My mom was a, a nurse in the public school system at District 218 for almost 30 years. Um, I was very fortunate. My, myself, my two brothers were raised uh, with a, a disciplined family, but a loving family. And one that cared very much about an upbringing where trust and loyalty and all of those things related to family are things that you lived out day to day. They believe that each and every day, that that's how you live your life and that's how you work with other people. And I think to a certain extent, that's what drew me back here Mm -hmm. to Maris, is the fact that 
that consistency of that daily lifestyle, working with young people, uh, teaching uh, morals, teaching consistencies of effort, and how to be successful. Nice. So I was going to ask you about your mom and dad, so I'm glad that you tapped into a little bit about that because I think so much of um, who we are and who we become, you know, starts in the home. And um, whether it be with a mom and dad, lucky enough to have both a mom and dad or or just a a single parent, it still starts in the home. So nice that you have such memories of your mom and dad. I was going to ask you what the neighborhood was like then because I know, you know, like... On our last podcast, somebody said it takes a village to raise you. And, and so many of the things that I have found moving from New York to Chicago is that neighborhood feel and flavor, even, you know, in the 20 years that I've been here, that it really is, you know, your roots are in your home for sure, but it's also your block or your neighborhood Absolutely. is an extension of who you are. And so can you talk a little bit about what your memories are from growing up in Mount Green? What about that? So uh, we had a good friend of the family. Uh, and was really friends with myself and my two brothers. Uh, the Prokop family uh, lived right in back of us. Um, and what was interesting is uh, Billy lost his mother and father when he was very young. Um, in fact, I think his mother died at 10 and his father died at 6. Wow. Um, he ended up living with his brother and his sister who were extremely young. So my my mom and my dad became very much like a, a mother and father to him. And my mom passed away about six years ago. I received an email from Billy, who I hadn't heard from in, oh, in wow. quite a long period of time. And he said, you know, the thing that I will never forget about your house is that it was always open to the neighbors. Uh, people would walk in and they'd smell the, the spaghetti sauce. The Italian sauce. cooking. Absolutely. <laughs> and they go, hey, do you think your mom would mind if... We yeah. stayed for, for supper tonight. So in many instances, the neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, most of the kids that were in the neighborhood ate at other people's houses yeah. all the time. It right. was very much a, a community-oriented uh, effort. effort, absolutely. Um, and, and I think also part of it was that the parents all were on the same page. Everybody had the same idea of how you raise kids, mm-hmm how you handle kids, how you can respect kids and And, and how you can even kind model. of lean in and when you're noticing Absolutely. your you know, your neighbor's kid or, you know, even three or four houses down or something doing something wrong, it was it wasn't out of line to say to Absolutely. that kid, Hey, and yeah, fill in yeah. with whatever it is that you need him to do because what you're doing is wrong and you should do it in a right way, you know? It's no different than the partnership that we have with our parents here. Yeah. Is that you're gonna have a good quality upbringing from freshman year through senior year here when there is a partnership with the parents yeah. and that we can all do the best. And, and it's the school is acting yeah, in the best interest of your kid. Whatever the circumstances is. And I think in, in our case, we do as good a job as we can to, to create a partnership. And that was really the Mount Greenwood neighborhood. Everybody got along. Everybody yeah. was welcome to people's You houses. said you were Italian. Do you remember, was it primarily Italian then? Or was it like It a, was a real mix of Irish and Italian and Polish and German. Yeah, I mean, a pretty it was, Catholic, uh, rooted it, in the it parishes. It was very, very Catholic-oriented. St. Christina was the, was the, the local main parish there. Hub. You know, you went to Mass on Saturday evening or, or Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and they had church affairs and. Was it back in the day too when it was really parish rivals? You know, oh. I know when I first landed here in Chicago, I I really was like these boys at the time in the nineties when I taught here. They even they wore those grammar school T-shirts. A- I mean, until they were rags on their bodies or didn't fit them anymore because they were so proud of you know I'm Saint Cajun, I'm Saint John Fisher, I'm Saint Christina, and so that was probably you remember it even even stronger, you know? So twice a week, I went to Keller Grammar School, which is now the Ag School. Yeah. And twice a week, there was a a established relationship between the Catholic school, St. Christina, and the public school. We literally, at 12 o'clock, on two days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, we would walk from Keller Grammar School and they allowed us to leave campus to go over to St. Christina for catechism oh, twice yeah, for a week. Oh, yeah, CCD or whatever you'd refer and to it as, right? we had CCD over at St. Christina. So they established, even in the public school, a relationship between yeah, in the, neighborhood. The, the CCD's program and what was going on in the mm-hmm. grammar school. So, yeah, I, I mean, I look at that as uh, kind of the fundamental aspect of what was going on in the community. Yeah. And roots of how you oh, and absolutely. the memories of it so great. So, you you said earlier that you know you are on 111th Street and do you go left to go to Marist or go right to go to Brother Rice? Because you know there's another thing like you know these schools make it seem like you you have a choice and you do have a choice. I shouldn't say seem, but you do have a choice. And so, you said you have two brothers. Are you the oldest? So I am the oldest. My middle brother Glenn uh, was vice president of. Uh, finance and collection for Mercedes-Benz. My brother Tom uh, works in the development office here and has worked here for, I want to say he's approaching 30 years here at Marist. We might have to have him on this. Well, and you know, the teachers used to tease me when I was younger. My mom was the president of the uh, Mother's Club. Here? Here at Marist High School. Pretty awesome. And brother Jerry Doherty, you know, used to come over to the house as did the other brothers, and my mom would cook for them on Sundays. And so they said, "Well, obviously, you've got uh, a job because of who yeah, you knew. you're uh, you're part brother. I, you exactly, might have been part I, brother. I, that's definitely <laughs> so. So you you decided just uh, whimsically to to choose Maris, or do you think? Why do you think that you chose so Maris? Do you remember a, that? I know exactly what it was all about. Mount Mount Greenwood was a hotbed of baseball. It was probably in our area, um, maybe the best feeder programs. Uh, Oak Lawn was comparable, but I mean, some of the best feeder programs for baseball. And I had grown up with baseball. Baseball really consumed a, a significant amount of my life outside of working at S&T and some of the other places when I was younger. So do you know really the secret recipe down. of the meatball mix? I do not. And I work back there and used to eat the meatballs all the time. But uh, Don't tell you. Your, no, your and, mother didn't know that. And, and your I mother's are probably better than theirs. My but. mom used to ask me all the time, what are they doing? I go, Ma, you don't have to worry. You don't have to compete with S&T. You're fine. You all know? right. But back to the baseball. It, it, that's what it boiled down to was, uh, you know, I, I, I would say that I was a, about an average student. Both places were, were good fits academically and spiritually. It boiled down to the coaches and the programs and, you know, the camps. And mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to go to some of the Bears, Bears camps and had seen some of their games here. 
Uh, one of my heroes was Rich Farrell, who was a catcher for Barris, who ended up playing in the minor leagues. He was right here next door to Mount Greenwood at Marionette Park. Uh, his brother's been on our board of directors. But Rich was just, he, he, was he, could just play. A, he was just an amazing athlete who ended up uh, being drafted out of St. Xavier. Wow. Uh, played in the minor leagues with the Giants. And it was interesting, I just read a scouting report on him that Mike Dooley, who used to teach and coach here, had given me and indicated that he was on a track to be uh, playing Major League Baseball. So Unfortunately, he had, a, he had a terrible accident on the way back. Uh, from uh, California, I believe, and he passed away as a result. But he kind of, watching him play... Yeah, he was an influence over you. Absolutely. I, was, I, I thought that's really what kind of put me over the top is, you know, this kid was such a great kid, good player. Uh, so I decided I was going to Marisol. Yeah, and then your brothers just followed because you came just, just My brothers, followed. both of them just followed here. Um, and again, I think the fact that they had an opportunity to meet some of the brothers. Mm-hmm. My mom was always had her door open on Sundays if they wanted to come over yeah. and have dinner and stuff like that. So she kind of took care of the brothers, as did so many mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, How many boys were here when time. you were here? So About, would you I, guess? I, you know, I, interesting story. I was looking through uh, stubs that my mom and dad had kept. So Payment in 1973, yeah. in 1973, the tuition here at Maris High School for uh, a school year was $375. Can you even so imagine? It was $375 and it was, I mean to be honest with you, it was a struggle because my mom did not start in the nursing in District 218 until we were in high school. Yeah, until you were in high school. So I was in high school and then at that point she started up, but yeah, it was 300 and some dollars. That's unbelievable. And we were probably right around 1400 1500 somewhere in there but we grew through the years to the point where we were over 2000 yeah and we ended up putting a uh, trailer in the back two trailers in the back with four classrooms to deal with the overflow uh, of, of students. students and that was all boys yeah you can imagine oh i was here when it was saturated. all boys it wasn't 2000 but i was here oh when it was my all gosh boys. the saturation of boys and girls in this area was incredible yeah so what are some of your earliest memories as a student here? I mean, you just talked about the presence of brothers. And I think, you know, um, we have a few brothers here right now. And, you know, there were so much, there were so many more when I was here in the 90s. But when you were here in the 70s as a student, do you remember the, it was just oh, flooded with brothers? They were everywhere. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I can remember back and, you know, the religion department in particular, I think, did such a great job of, of you know, shaping your uh, your philosophy and beliefs, and you know the brother Vito's, the brother Ron Horbatics, uh, brother Vince Andiorio, who eventually became Vince Andiorio, um, who taught me as well. Yep. These were good men who were great role models for the young people um, that went to school here and mm-hmm. and left with such a a happy and joyous feeling about their faith and who they were and and being confident in themselves as a Catholic living um, in that generation. Um, we were proud to be Catholic. You know, we were, we were proud to be at a private Catholic school. Mm-hmm. 
We were proud of, of the types of lessons that the brothers and the Marist community taught us. Um, I think the, you know, one of the fondest memories that I'll ever have here, um, I was a senior here at Marist High School and uh, the baseball team had advanced to the super sectionals and were one game away from going down to the state finals. Um, and unfortunately, my grandfather had passed away a week oh, prior no, no. to, and, and you know what, I, I think in this day and age, I am so, when a kid tells me their grandmother or grandfather passed away, I have such a, uh, a, a memory of that time period when it I was It almost brings younger. it up every time. And it really, it really hurt to have your grandparents uh, not be able to go to the games and that kind of stuff, but I will never forget we had come home from uh, a loss in our super sectional game to Bill Gullickson, who was the first pick of the 1977 draft. And we got off the bus, and who was here to greet me was Brother Rich Grenier, who is still here, and kind of uh, consoled me and, and said, you know what, things are going to be fine, and life is going to be good, and you just need to move. You just need to move forward, and whatever you need, let us know. So I think. That was such a great memory for me because it was an extremely sad time for me. Well, so thoughtful, so compassionate, uh, he, he, all of those things. Just, to... uh, and he still, to this day, epitomizes, I think, what everybody um, sees in the brothers and, mm. and, and what they do for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hope that the kids now feel that same way oh, like you were just saying i hope so I, pandemic I sure hope so. yeah it's that. the I, pandemic has just it's impacted in so many ways but so do you remember things about the classroom experience like your favorite subject the oh subject you couldn't stand because you're oh a teenage boy i mean oh and it's gosh. all boys i mean so there were classes that you love but you don't have to paint a picture like you know everything so was I, glory here <laughs> i what had made you, a decision that you know, when it was interesting, I had made a decision that I was going to go into business in college, business management, that that was going to kind of be your path, you know, where, uh, you know, where my passion was going to lie. And here at Maris, I always can remember that I had good experiences in my history classes, and I enjoyed history. Um, I had received a scholarship to play baseball at Illinois Tech down, oh. downtown, along with Don Perkle. We both ended up down there. We both were Shout out to Don Perkle. Shout out to Don Perkle, <laughs> my assistant. And what is interesting about it is that that passion I had for history at Marist kind of carried through to college. I stayed a semester in business, and after the semester, I began to investigate the possibility of going into teaching and yeah. to see if maybe there was something in history uh, that I might be interested in. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Like, when did you think you wanted to become a teacher? So it was then, like, it you were kind of like the struggle. Yeah. or Because, you know, kids now, yeah. even now, they're asked, what do you think you want to do? Or where do you want to go to college and all that? And it's still, yeah. oh yeah, you, you, people change their mind. You're Absolutely. not going to necessarily know from the get-go. You're going to think you know, and then you're going to go and experience it. And I, you changed your mind. So you went into history. I had a guy, uh, Dr. Bill Hill, who was my educational advisor uh, down at IIT. So we had sat down and talked about it. He goes, now you're at Illinois Institute of Technology and you want to be a history major. So let's talk about that. Okay? And you want to teach that. 
and he said, you know, it's it's not an it's not an easy avenue as far as the coursework because you're also going to have to certainly meet the standards of the school, take your engineering courses, history of engineering, those types of things. So to get your degree, you have to finish that, which I think the depth of the education I was able to get in history as a result of what they were able to offer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think... Um, for me, it was the right choice because I wanted to be able to work with young people. I wanted to be able to coach. I always looked at coaching as, as something that I would like to do. Yeah, yeah. And I also knew that I felt comfortable in the environment here at Marist. And if there was ever an, an opening. opening there, mm-hmm. that that would be something that I, I might be interested in. So you said you played baseball. Were there any other sports you played or clubs or things you were involved with back when you were a student? So I went to, at the time, they were just retreats. They were not Kairos here at Marist, but I went to... Uh, the retreats here, um, but yeah, I played baseball for four years here at Marist. Pretty awesome. Um, Did you have a Letterman's jacket? Because, you know, they're, they're, made, the, they're coming back. I still have it. I, I, my, Take that baby out. Everybody's going to see that. My dad's house is still hanging in one of is the... It? Yeah, oh, it is it? Oh, it's so great. It is. It's, it's been there a long, long time. There's but, a couple uh, students here. They're trying to bring that back. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a look. It's it in. is, and it, I'll be honest with you. It's always been a sharp Take look. out that jacket, and people are going to be. Yeah, I think that one's got a little dust on it. <laughs> that's for sure. Right? I wondered when you just said retreats, though, I wondered about the service projects back when you were a student here. You know, that that's something that we now really try to um, embed in what we do here at Marist with our freshman year, our sophomore year, our junior year. You know, our, we have the big Marist Cares that's coming up, but there are. I wondered back then, did they? Do you remember any kind of service work that was done besides going to retreats or things like that? So going out into the community. I'm just maybe? trying to think. In, in, in going back, I think our retreat bro- program uh, really started to get stronger in the 1990s. So I left here in 1977. Uh, I would give credit to our. Uh, senior service program, the ministry department, and I would say from 1990 on, it grew in leaps and bounds. Uh, Sister Joan, uh, Brother Larry Lavely, a lot of quality people that really established the program and made it what it is Yeah, Larry Tucker even talks about the fact that he was, as a student, he did the senior service project, and he said, you know, he went a little bit begrudgingly into it, kind of like, I'll do this. He said, it, it, to this it, day, he still is some, that's something that impacted him. I want to sure say it many, started that. I want to say Many alumni started. would say the oh, same yeah. thing, you know. Absolutely. As much as, you, you know, you were able to leave campus and it seemed like you had some freedom and that might have been the reason that you signed up for it on the back end or in the during of it was the impact that, you know, working with others, less fortunate of you or even, you know, disabled or things like that. And might have even opened a pathway into something they wanted to do. Beyond Marist. It, so. it, it, what's interesting about that is I, and I think Larry, myself, uh, Don Perkle, Don Richardson, all of them from that culture of that time period, I think if you were to ask me about uh, St. Marcelin Chapani, the mission of the school, it, I, I don't think it was just Marist. I think uh, Catholic educational institutions did not do a wonderful job, a great job of uh, really acknowledging who they were and get spreading it to the community. I, I'd have to say that there was a big push by the Marist Brothers and other organizations around the country to talk specifically about who your founders are, what do they stand for, what is your mission, mm-hmm. what does service mean, and how do you 
as a school community, get your kids into the community to be of assistance to the community. And I think what we forget about that is that the community becomes an assistance to the kids. Yeah. I mean, I think the kids are getting a lot out of it from those sites. It's, mm-hmm. not, it, it's not just about those sites having our kids right. there helping out. Right. So, and so another program that was impacted by the pandemic, you know, absolutely. not being able to go because of, you know, worry of, the, of getting the, the actual absolutely. virus, but then the vaccination needs and, and things like that. So hopefully that program, I know kids are signed up for it next year. Yeah, I hope it, um, we and, can get it back to where it was. Yeah, learned a little bit about how we want to roll it out, and I think it's going to be great. Um, so you just said where you went to college and how your major was and a little bit w- how you wanted to knew you wanted to come back to Marist. But let's talk about that. So you graduated college. You are ready to become a teacher and coach. And how did you end up back at Marist? Like, do you remember coming in here and interviewing? Do you remember who inter- who said, yes, we'd love to have you? Or was it at your kitchen table? Sounds like it could have been at your kitchen table with one of the brothers so, with the spaghetti dinner. It, it was interesting because the job opened up. It was published in the local paper. Um, and I had Brother Anthony Izzetti at the time was the principal here at Marist High School. Brother Jerry Doherty was the head of the social studies department had me in uh, for an interview here, um, received the call back, I want to say early August of uh, 1983. Um, And I started then in the fall of 1983. And what is interesting, my story is a very interesting story because after my first year of teaching here, I had a... uh, message from Brother Anthony Izzetti that I needed to go and see him and this would have been probably early May and he had indicated to me that there just simply were not enough classes for a full history schedule that he at this time had only had and we all go through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that happens now. It happens at private and public schools where, you know, the students dictate the amount of exactly. classes, the student numbers. So, so I totally get it. So he called and he indicated, I, Joe, I just got to be honest with you. I have two history classes. I'm not going to be able to fill out a schedule for you. What I can do, though, is if something comes up or somebody leaves or classes become available, uh, I'll let you know. It, it was sad, but at the same time, I realized that that's kind of life and education at that time where you could be in for a year or two and you get riffed and yeah. it's time to move on somewhere Something else. Something personal. Exactly. So this happened probably beginning of May and by mid-June I received a phone call back and uh, much to my shock, uh, Brother Anthony said, you know, do you think you could teach English? <laughs> so so the business Welcome guy... Welcome to the best department. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the business guy who went into history was now going to be stretched a little bit and I will tell you this the three years that I taught English here at Marist High School were probably the best years for my growth in write in writing um, in just thinking uh, reading, reading thinking yeah. critical thinking because I think and you've heard the old adage that once you've taught something you learn yeah, from yeah, yeah. what you teach, and I absolutely felt that was the case. Or that's the that's the to know that you really understand it is to be exactly. able to teach it to somebody else too. Exactly. And so, 
then you, then you knew that you were growing your own ability in those areas. And I mean, I mentioned that you are a legend, but then you were you were standing beside the real pillars of Maris in terms of legends. Let's talk about who was in the English department so, at that time. Who was? So who we were had they? we had absolutely when you talk about legends, Whew. we got Mike Leahy, you got Larry Melito, you've got Larry Orman, you got Brenda Amaral. I mean, you go right down the line. You got I it. mean, you got legends. But I think what was more of the the interesting scenario is that Al Brazen was the uh, was still the dean of students, yeah. a disciplinarian yeah. here. So imagine a young person like myself coming back and having Al stand at the point, and you he are now a teacher. He still probably treated you like you were a right. student. <laughs> and I did call him Mr. Brazen even then, and he did pull me aside and said, Joseph, you need to understand that you are now an employee here at Maris High School, and you may call me Al. Aww. That was one of the most significant days in my life I, that I was able I to call Al Brazen Al. I mean, his picture and his plaque and his oh. almost like a bulletin board oh really at the Lord. point of the current building doesn't even do justice to anybody that knew who no. he was i mean the alumni that knew him no. and were students here and understood you know you just didn't mess with mr brazen no. and there's it was no. just and it was a different time like you were just saying like there's no way because what was your uniform when you were here as i a mean student? we were we were shirt tie dress slacks okay so but it wasn't. prior 10 years prior to me getting here we were suit jackets yeah i was gonna tie, say the jackets slacks yeah the whole so, thing so i mean it was so it mr was, brazen mr. though would brazen. make sure that those al. yeah it's you can al. call me al uh, you can call me al and you did and i did call him al and we developed a, a great rapport and i will tell you that Such i learned much man. from him he's yeah, very I mean, kind i think a lot of people particularly in their freshman and sophomore year they really kind of looked at him as gruff and brazen. Not very appealing. I always thought his last name <laughs> yeah, is brazen. Exactly. And he, to, if once you get yeah. to know him, yeah. he really was. Anything yeah, you, but, you would not but. classify him as yes. appealing when you walked down <laughs> the hallway and saw him. I mean, he. But I will tell you this: he always gave it to you straight. Um, his facial expressions, he didn't have to say anything in many instances. He just kind of gave you a stare, and you knew. He ran the jug. He did, too. And, and detention was very different then. It was, than I was book. just telling that to a student the other day. I said, you know you had to stand and stand hold the book. with your book. And yeah. the, the arms were straight, yeah. and if the crack of the elbows, <laughs> or if they started to fall, right? There were true consequences. And that was, you didn't want to go there. No. So you, you made sure not, your behavior yeah. was such that right. did, you didn't end up in jug. See, what it is, I mean, and I know it's hard for young people to understand. Yeah, like, this, how do you fear, get away with doing right. that and all that? Fear, right. good. Fear. Fear was a good thing back in the 60s, the 50s, the we've certainly the changed The 70s, the 80s. Society. I grew up with fear. I grew Absolutely. up with fear. We've changed significantly from that uh, and and I think Al Brazen epitomized really what a Catholic school was at that point and that you were polite you were kind mm -hmm. you used the right terminology you used please and thank you on a regular basis mm -hmm. you look sharp you dressed for success mm -hmm. the whole concept and idea of dressing for success was a big part of self-identity mm -hmm. and this idea that I am somebody important and I'm mm -hmm. gonna look like somebody important. I think through the years, that certainly has has left the everyday routine. Even the, even like you're saying, the business world or like, like the Absolutely. downtown world, like the, the way people dress, you know, like Dressed I can think of Fridays. my grandparents. Yep. But I think of like my grandparents and the way that they would go to work or of that generation, you know, men were 
overcoats and three-piece suits and a, and a hat and all of the things Absolutely. and that just that lesson to the next generation and that lesson to the next generation and and we even have well we do the best we can today to to get kids to understand that that's still important oh that yeah first impressions and job interviews and those types of things are really important. and those soft skills you know they are Absolutely. very 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 important and you never the old expression you never get a second chance to make a first impression is very true even today even today even today okay so some other things i wanted to ask you you talked about that you were a coach at marist oh yes i mean you were a player For baseball years. player you're a baseball coach so the stories i'm sure that you oh, could tell gosh. we could do just a whole oh, episode on coaching at marist oh my but gosh. um the facilities were different then too. You know, it was all boys. I've already had some girls take me into the girls' locker room here and tell me, you know, like the, the boys' locker room is a little different than the girls. They said it used to be an all boys school, so you know, like the girls' locker room is is good. It could use a little upgrades here and there, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But the facilities that were there at Marist when I got here, the field was in the back, and we also had a very big legendary baseball coach at the time who was here teaching horticulture. Don Keener. A, a great. And legend. I used to tell him all the time, <laughs> Don, you have to understand that the kids are watering the plastic plants by the point. They don't need to be watered. And Don, Don, would, Don would say to me, <laughs> oh seriously? Gosh. And I go, I, I just think it's an oversight on, on the part of the kids. But the plants, they're not going to grow. They're where oh, they are right now. You would now. be out on that lawnmower <laughs> making sure that that grass and those blades of grass oh, were pointing in good, the right direction. God. So those baseball boys oh, were out there. And he God. was, he was, so did, you played for him? So did I you? played for him. He brought me in as an assistant coach. I was the freshman coach for two years and then had an opportunity to coach with the varsity. I coached baseball. Um, I want to say a total of 19 years because I, I also helped out Joel Jonas, who yeah, during right one of the years Joel. had some problems with uh, heart condition. Yeah, health. Helped him with that. But I'd have to say the, the highlight of those years was the level of talent that we had coming into Maris. We had just incredibly gifted athletes that were coming to play baseball here. Yeah. Um, if you look down the line at the number of kids who were drafted, the number of first-round draft picks we had. Yeah, I know Tommy um, Gorzolani was here when I was Tom here. Tom Gorzolani pitched here. Uh, Donnie Peters, who was a little guy, five foot four, freshman, who I had kept around on the freshman team. Sophomore year, he was cut. His junior year, we brought him back. He was probably about five seven, five eight, not a big kid at all. He ended up being a first-round draft pick in the major really? league draft by the Oakland the Athletics. He was a pitcher, and he, oh, threw, pitcher. he threw hard. Uh, he went to St. Francis uh, College in Joliet uh -huh. and was drafted in the first round wow. by the Elton Athletics. Had an opportunity wow. to coach him and many of the great players. Yeah, uh, but the other highlight was the night games. I mean, the the football field and the baseball field was were combined. Right next to each other, right, right on this other side oh right here. Oh my gosh, the games Mount Carmel, St. Rita, Brother Rice, Carl Sandberg, under the lights, on a Thursday night, a Friday night, we'd have a thousand people here. Oh my God! Because they better. would be in the stands yep. out in right field. But I, I've never True seen a high school baseball. Yeah. Game like so that. great! Oh, so uh, great! Had a great. I mean, it, just a great experience coaching our kids. Um, How did those teams do when you were coaching? I tell you, the highlight was we we had an opportunity in 1988. We went down to the uh, Final Four, uh, downstate, uh, and I'll never forget as long as I live. We broke the record 
for men left on base in the semifinal game. Uh, and I still to this day, so we had opportunities to certainly win. Um, but I get it, it's a testament to the types of families, kids that came here. It was yeah. easy to work with those kids because they were so coachable. And that was, the, that was the time when the three sport athlete was very common. A it was a time absolutely. when, you know, how many games were in a season and it was, you know, absolutely. I don't want to say uh, many, but also manageable that it wasn't, you know, uh, that is also something in, in youth athletics and high school athletics that has shifted, you know, absolutely. The, the opportunity to play maybe two sports exists, but three sports is almost like unheard of. We had those kids Tom Costello uh, TJ Barcelona uh, Doug Cozen those are all guys that yeah. that attempted to play all three of them and that is kind of a lost art and that's kind of gone by the wayside because everybody focuses yeah, I would focuses agree. on one a absolutely I mean I look at this year we've got a young man who's going to go to University of Michigan uh, Jimmy Rolder and his focus was on playing football Mm -hmm. But Jimmy is a tremendous baseball player as oh, well wow. and, and, a, and was a potential draft. But, again, in this day and age, those yeah, coaches you, you on the collegiate one. level, although from what I'm hearing, Jimmy Harbaugh, who was the coach at Michigan, was open to him playing baseball there as well. Maybe he still will. Hey, you Let's never know. Hopefully he can't can. predict the future, but if he's got the talent and Absolutely. all of a sudden he's got the heart for it and it's something he misses, I guess he'll notice if he misses it. But I do have to, I mean, I think the, the Don Keeners of the world um, who gave me opportunities, Brother mm -hmm. Jerry Doherty, who gave me opportunities and trusted that I could, I could handle this and I could do this. And it was such a boost to me, confidence-wise, to be able to have people that actually worked with me. Now I work for them as an employee of the school. So it, it was maybe the best experiences that I had at Merritt's were through baseball. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I would say that's true. I'm, I, I love the sport of baseball. I love watching it, so I'm, I'm pumped up for the season. But anyway, um, you know they say that behind every um, strong man is an even stronger woman. So what we haven't delved into is your lovely wife. Yeah. How did you meet your wife? So Let's talk about that, Joe question. and Zynga. So Barb and Zynga. My lovely wife, 31 years uh, we've been married, met her in college. She was a volleyball player at Illinois Tech. And what was interesting at the time, the volleyball team and the baseball team at that point really is the highlight of their, of IIT's history was those years uh, between 1977 and say 1983, their baseball, volleyball, and even their swimming programs were really outstanding programs. So I met Barb through volleyball. Um, Barb and I had two children, Danielle and Sarah, who both graduated from Marist High School. Yeah, that's going to be my next question. Those who, when you were here as a student and then here back teaching, did you ever think you would have daughters who would attend Marist? Not in the slightest. In right. Fact, I am quoted in the school paper, the Marist school paper, as saying, uh, Marist High School will never go quit. And that would have been... <laughs> That would have been probably <laughs> until my like daughter's 19, right until nineteen. That would have been like nineteen eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, that's absolutely. And I got to so tell funny. you now, um, it, it, you don't even think about it. It Marist had Marist did such a great job of transitioning from all boys to co-ed. And my wife says all the time, she said, you know, we are so fortunate that we had the opportunity. We're, we live out in Orland. 
and the question would have come. Certainly, we we would want to send them to private Catholic schools. Right, but, but that was your belief, but right? At, at that point, we really didn't have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. But it was just great to be able to have them come through Marist. Uh, my wife was just ecstatic that dad would be watching over the children every day, you know, at school. And I said, I'm sure the girls yeah. were too. Well, and I mean, I said, what was well, their experience? Well, let me be very clear. I said, you know what? You two need to stay away from me, okay, as much as possible. Not out of, not out of disrespect, but the reality oh is God, it Joe, never is so a good funny. look. You know, it's never a good look when yeah. the daughters are hanging around dad, okay, yeah. especially when you're disciplining kids. Right. You're trying to, you have a different look. You have a reputation Absolutely. to uphold. You don't want to be Mr. Softy with the daughters. But I was fortunate because my wife was very supportive. And, you know, through all the years of coaching, and I received the Latari Award a few years back, and one of the things that I talked about at the dinner was, how important it was to have a supportive wife and supportive children mm-hmm. to be able to be working with other people's children. Mm-hmm. That they're seeing you do things for other kids through sports, through mm-hmm. education. And in some instances, you as a myself, you feel a little bit guilty. You're like, yeah, I'm you not sacrifice. As you much make sacrifices with them and with my the family wife for as, sure makes sacrifices. But She's been very supportive. She is a graphic engineer and works out of the house, so she, she you know, is she's bringing got home the nice, bacon, Joe. Oh, there yeah. you go. That, that, that allows me to stay here at Maris for as many yeah. years as I have. And you, know. she, you both love the place, and you've oh, done great absolutely. things here. But that's absolutely. I didn't didn't want to go that go unnoticed because oh, no. it's kind of like sport. just recently. I know because of all this is his his final year, but Coach K in basketball, you know, at Duke. I don't know if you saw like one of his last regular season games where they really they had his family out on the court with him and I thought you know he's been married to his wife for like 50 something years I I believe and you know she and his daughters were there and I just thought the same thing I'm like what a sacrifice for the family and so I'm glad that you mentioned that because there were a lot of student athletes and students that you've impacted over time but it it does it does impact the family but and when we say thank you to the families like your wife Barb and your your daughters because you spent a lot of time here. Well, I coached football for 12 years, coached baseball for, I want to say it was 19 years, and the reality is weekends, particularly in the fall with football, weekends were Friday night game, Saturday night scouting, Sunday film, and preparation for the next week. So the Ron Dawzeks of the world, that's kind of what they do. And, that's what they and do if you don't have somebody supportive at home, that can go awry very, very, very quickly. Very, quickly. And it can impact the program, Absolutely. you know. It, it trickles down. Absolutely. So you were a football coach, too. Um, I think I see a little bit of that passion coming out of you this year when we were standing out by the student section. That passion piece of you, Joe, just sometimes, you know, when the games were getting coach heated never and the leaves. calls, the, the calls, and the, I loved it. I loved it. It was so leaves. fun. It was definitely fun. You know, and I... When they Thank talk you for about, bringing that energy. When they talk about Monday morning quarterbacks, <laughs> it's me. I, you know, it, it, it's hard when you've been on the sidelines and the intensity of the game. You get caught up in that, and even as a dean and working with the kids, you get caught up in play calling and, and a lot of other things uh, emotionally. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So, um, what do you think? Uh, has been maybe one of the biggest changes over time or things you've noticed? Maybe not necessarily. The biggest one probably would be the girls. Um, 
joining the school, but besides the girls, what, what are some, what, are, what is another change that you think like over time has just happened here? You know, 39 years is a long time. What have you, what have you noticed? I, I mean, a couple things. Number one, uh, and, and I think it's no different probably back when I went to school in the seventies, our parents thought the music was crazy. <laughs> okay. And, and I got to tell you, okay. The music's crazy. I, I'm a 62 year old man, and you know, actually, I was just looking at the playlist for, for prom along with Mrs. O'Neill this morning, and I got to tell you, there were, I mean, there were songs you didn't know. No, and some of the language and yeah. the degrading so types you, of stuff. And, yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I just, I do the best I can to kind of change with the times. But the reality of the situation is that is such a big part of a high school environment you for have to kids. Adapt. To have the music, to have the things that they like, they enjoy. And it, I use the term, and I have this whole year, as you walk the tightrope between yeah. what, what do you really let the kids listen to yeah and what do you say to them listen we're we're a catholic school right. this is this i know and I, a lot of times i say that too when i make my little videos for them or when i have opportunities for like we're not a park we're not at the mall and now like you know some of them with their headsets they're wearing i'm like we don't work at the airport like you know we're here to learn we are here to learn and sometimes I know that it's still a teenage setting where kids are, they're here to learn, but they're also here to socialize. They're also here to interact with other teenage Absolutely. kids. And they want to, we have to be able to adapt and play, go the long, the long haul with working in this atmosphere. Because it's, I mean, I've, I've only worked in a school, this is my 27th year, 39 years is a lot longer than me, but 27 is no, like no, no small amount of time. You've been and so, some changes. Yeah, you've been seen, seen some changes. And I would say like music and I'd say dress code, you know, and one of the things, um, you mentioned dress code earlier and that's what I thought of, but I also thought that, you know, next year Marist High School is no longer requiring the boys to wear ties and i feel like that is for um people that went here you know like that's almost like what are you what are you doing you're you're taking away you're stripping away a piece of what is marist and tradition and all those things and and that's not i i think the thought behind the decision it was more like a sign of the times and i know marcel champagne and larry always says that pay attention to the sign of the times and i know that as deans now you've worked in so many other different aspects but right now you're a sitting dean and i know that you and don perkle we gave a shout out to earlier have mentioned that this is something that we should consider about the tie and i remember thinking for me like hey i just got here i'm not taking the tie away because it is something that's rooted in maris but i'm sure that when they took the jacket away I'm sure there were a lot Absolutely. of people that thought the boys aren't wearing jackets. Absolutely. They're only wearing a shirt and tie. And that was a sign of the times then. And to say, like, now we are going to say it's a choice to wear a tie. Absolutely. And probably most will say, I'm not wearing the tie. Right. And so what does the look of a Marist student in 2022, 2023 look like? And to some people, it's a little too shabby. And where is that look? And so... What do you say to that? I, I just, I, here's what I would say. You go to Mass on Sunday and you are acutely alert of how the priest looks. You're on a street corner going through downtown and you've got a police officer there and you're acute of the sharpness and how they look. You're in a hospital 
and a doctor walks in and you're acutely aware of their presence and how they look. It's going to be no different here at Marist. Our expectation is, is that when you walk in our building, that you are alerted to the importance of looking the part of a professional, of a classy person, of a Marist student, having dignity in the way that you approach things every day. I've seen we're not sloppy, trying to torture exactly. kids. Exactly. I've seen sloppy-looking police officers, sloppy-looking priests, sloppy-looking doctors. I mean, believe me, that's kind of the world we live in. It's but the message world. to the kids should be the same all the time, which is you do the best you can to, to look the part of someone who wants to learn, wants to, to really have a good relationship with other kids, and how do you develop that? You develop it through manners. You develop it in how you look mm-hmm. and paying attention to that and combing your hair and those types of things. I'm sorry, but that hasn't yeah, changed. Shaving your face. Right, shaving your face. Those are things that it, it, it hasn't changed in that regard, is that those are still the tenets of neatness and, and how you dress each and every day. The idea of dress for success is always the same. Yeah, it's always the Whether same. You're it might be adapted a, a little bit to the, ex- time, of the exactly. time of the time, but it should always be, it's, exactly. it's always still there. Speaking of shaving your face, I did notice, <laughs> and you're a baseball lover, I did notice uh, my husband and I were watching some college baseball oh over the weekend, gosh. and some of these college baseball guys, the things they do, like the mustache is like a thing, it is for sure like, it is part of the culture of the team that they're like, let's go. And we were laughing at that. So that just popped into my oh, head. Yeah. It really doesn't have anything to do with well, the marriage. That's another example, the face. But right, like that's a silly, goofy thing that they want to do. It's not, you, you know. could look sharp with a mustache. Yeah, but I, you could I, also I look ridiculous I, with a mustache. I guess. The handlebar mustache. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if we said we're going mustaches in May? It might be a little something around here. Anyway, um... Joe, tell us something, or Mr. Nzinga to the kids, tell us something that people don't know about you. Passionate reader. Um, and, and, you know, people say, well, what, what do you Great like? gift I is read, to give you a book. I, I, I absolutely... Do you read an actual book? Do you hold I, I a book? I have a fire. I, I oh, you do? Oh, you fire. do? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Or are you an electronic I reader? I fire, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I just saw a kid the other day that was in... Uh, the open period and had the black backdrop mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. their iPad and people have it I on said, their you know phones what? too. I, I do that because it the glare. Do you have it on your phone too? Or I, you? I do it primarily on my fire. Yeah. Because I have the white lettering and read yeah. that way. But all kinds of things interest me. Uh, not know, just history. Not just history. I uh, sports novels and you know philosophy of life and all kinds of things and i'm starting to get into the into the podcasts as well i know yes that, thank gee, you isn't Joe. that interesting you know? <laughs> I, I love a good podcast I was, I i'm like a motivational one or a you know like i do like when people that are um athletes or such are interviewed i find them very there's some great sports um some great football coaches that have been um, interviewed. I know I shared some of that with Larry, so I, sh- I think I maybe shared with him with you earlier yeah. that they were talking about ways to do things with kids and culture building and things like that of a school. Like Absolutely. A school culture. But I steal things all the time. And, and I read because in my role, I talk to kids all the time. You know, what, you know, what types of behaviors are important in an educational setting, in a spiritual setting? What type mm-hmm. of behaviors 
to use. And if you can't give them specific analogies and you don't have enough of the analogies for them, it becomes tedious for them. They're like, okay, here's Nzinga talking about this again. And what you want to be able to do is you use your background in reading to pull things that you keep with you and you kind of build a memory bank yes. of certain circumstances that you want to talk to them about. So I, I think it's a passion of mine for sure. Advice for um, teachers here? I, I think the, the press, the news, um, online apps have have given some teachers hesitancy about how they work with kids. There is almost this idea that that kids can be a, a burden. And I told the kids last year when we had them in at the beginning of the year that I feel it's unfortunate that from a societal perspective, kids are always put into a bad light. Mm -hmm. That you can't trust them. Yeah. They're always making bad They're decisions. They're making, always making bad decisions. Right. And they, when the reality of the situation is with the type, right type of role modding, the kids An atmosphere, will environment, you. and all that, Create right? an environment for And them. believe it or not, they like routine. Plug, plug them in. <laughs> you know, if that's what their world is going to be is technology and apps and phones, plug them in. Yeah. Get, them, get them plugged in. To support the learning, yeah, you know, never absolutely. Uh, 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 right. I think absolutely. that those things should support the learning. Nice. Um, any any advice to our current students? Well, to the seniors, they got a whole vast world in front of them. Uh, we hope and pray that we have prepared them appropriately. They have gone through some incredibly difficult times. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to thank them and their parents for the patience that they have displayed over the last two and a half years with us. Um, and I think students in general, for the kids that we have here already, our hope and, and prayer is that we can get back to some semblance of normalcy next mm -hmm. year and that we can press the reset button yeah. and get back to some of the traditions and some of the things yeah. that we can consider important and hold dear uh, Correct. to us. Right, because as much as you learn through the pandemic and you think oh these are some great new things that we've just learned and other ways to communicate or other ways to kind of push things out to students i think it also made us realize by not being able to come to the building as you did or not be able to do those things that you always did like you miss those things absolutely and so how do you bring them back even stronger or differently and make sure that they don't go away yeah that's a great point yeah i think we also have to be uh, honest in that uh, the kids and the adults in this building led the way. Let's be let, yeah. let's be upfront and honest. Well, you about were this. here. I was not the here. Private Catholic schools led the way. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. For other schools, in that we put ourselves into the environment. Yeah. At and, risk. And at risk, and worked our way through it. And there was a lot of courage that was shown yeah. by a lot of teachers and a lot of kids and a lot of families yeah. who trusted us to send their kids in at each and every day. I'm glad day. you mentioned that. Thanks for saying that. All right, at the end here, Joe, we always like the uh, Red Hawks want to know feature of the podcast. And so this is rapid fire, which means I say a question to you and you say the first thing that pops into your All mind. Right. It's a nice Sounds way good. for us to end. Okay, so Red Hawks want to know, favorite coffee order? 
Oh my God. Do you really want that? I do because I know it's a good right. question for you. All right, here we go. And I, the other day, a kid came up to me, had seen me in Starbucks, and wanted You're to know Starbucks what I was doing. You're a Starbucks and, and, guy. So here we are a venti decaf, skim milk, light whip, three pumps chocolate. <laughs> I bought it, huh? I love it. Try it. It's Drop awesome. one off for Mr. Zinga someday. It's, it's very, very, the calorie Calorie is low. It's is low. Down. Yeah. Sugar Sit is low. Out. Sugar. So it's, Sugar it's is not low. Bad. Caffeine. Yeah. You got rid of the caffeine. Are you I, caffeine free? Decaf. I, you know, my decaf heart. Decaf all is, day. Yeah. You and I talked about this. Yeah, Sometimes we, my I watch heart the is. Heart. I take care yeah, of the heart. No we decaf. Have to go there. I go yeah, decaf. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, favorite dessert? That's an easy one. I'm a. I, I'm a huge ice cream guy, love ice cream. I shouldn't Favorite be flavor? eating ice cream yeah. because I am a type 2 diabetic. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> not, You've mean, learned over time to manage your ice cream obsession. Actually, I eat tons of frozen yogurt. Oh, okay, that's good. And by the way, very good. Yeah, watch I'm that okay. sugar. Watch Sugar's that down, sugar, that's good. You know. <laughs> uh, song you love to listen to or sing along to? This is, the kids are gonna go wild on this one, okay? And Don, Mr. Don Perkle, I know you're out there. You'll love this. <laughs> when we were there. in college, our song was You Shook Me All Night Long. Okay? <laughs> it is my favorite song. Still. It makes me happy because I can remember back to the good old days, which were many, many generations ago. <laughs> I can imagine when your daughters oh decide to have children no. that you are going oh. to be the grandpa that's oh. in the front so. and the kid is going to be in the back like rolling their eyes like, the oh weddings, my God. At the wedding, they'll go, yeah, what's what is wrong this? with him? Yeah, what, somebody what is take wrong him home. with him? There's something wrong, There's something with, wrong him. with them. All right, I, I came up with a couple other questions. I usually ask only two or three, but, but during this I was thinking... What's your best book, favorite book, or even like most recent, you know, because you know, there's so many books, but... James, P- I love James Patterson. Okay, so and favorite so author. If, if, if you're into mysteries and you're, you're into puzzling uh, challenges for the FBI and police, James Patterson is absolutely spectacular. Still to this day, I've been reading this stuff for 20 years. All right. So absolutely Check it out if you like books. He's good. Last one. Um... Best baseball player you've ever watched play? George Brett. We, we've we talked about this a million times through the years. George Brett, by far, and because. my grandfather and my grandfather and my dad took me out to the games. George Brett was the most complete player that I had seen. He was a tremendous defensive player, clutch hitter, hit for average. One of those guys that almost hit 400 wow. one year. George Brett. But absolutely a phenomenal player. Love it. Joe Zinga, you are a legend. Yeah, well, I try. You do try. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for so doing much. this for me. This has been great. Yeah. I appreciate Podcast it. Yeah, podcast conversation. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Take care.